Well, good morning to you. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 2. I started preaching through the book of Acts just a couple of, uh, couple of Sundays ago, and we're now in Acts, chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 14 uh, all the way through verse 41, uh, starting in Acts, chapter 2, verse 14. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you that in Jesus we have a friend for sinners. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not come to this earth to save good people. But you came to give your life as a ransom for sinners. And that is such good news. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a friend for sinners, welcoming sinners to yourself, welcoming sinners into the kingdom of heaven. We bless you, Lord Jesus, and we would turn to you now, our friend for sinners, and ask for your blessing upon this word as we, as we read it. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see great things in your word. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, when it comes to preaching sermons... It helps to have a little time to prepare. (laughs) Not easy to preach these spontaneous, sort of on-the-spot, no-note sermons on your mark, get set, preach. Uh, I've had that opportunity a couple times. Uh, I got one in India when Thomas and I went there. Uh, We were working with Reach All Nations, a Christian ministry there that we support. We were driving around one day with two men from the ministry. I thought we were just visiting another church and fell asleep in the back seat hard uh, for quite some time. And we arrived and they said, who's preaching? And no lie, it was probably less than two minutes. And I was standing up to preach. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and, and I say in all honesty, that was the worst sermon on the planet. <laughs> it was just not good. Uh, Charles Spur- Spurgeon, famous preacher in the 1800s, he had a pastor's college. He would train up uh, young preachers and he'd occasionally give a student a text and ask the student then on the spot to stand up and preach on that text in front of the whole school staff, all the other students, and in front of the great Charles Spurgeon himself. Very intimidating, I'm sure. And one day Spurgeon gave a student the story of Zacchaeus and the student stood up very slowly and he paused and he said, Zacchaeus was of little stature, so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, so am I. Zacchaeus came down, so will I. And he sat down. <laughs> and Charles Spurgeon Gave him a standing ovation for his sermon. Uh, Not easy to preach spontaneous on-the-spot sermons, but I'm telling you what, here in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter did just that. 
very possibly the first sermon Peter ever preached to a large crowd. And man, Peter here with his on-the-spot sermon, contrary to what I did, he just knocked this thing out of the park. Probably the best sermon he ever preached, his most important sermon for sure, because it was the first sermon that anybody preached after the sending of the Holy Spirit. Back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised to his original apostles that he would soon send the Holy Spirit to them. And at the start of Acts chapter 2, just before the passage we're going to read today, Jesus did it. On the day of Pentecost, one of the biggest Jewish festivals of the year, the city of Jerusalem just packed with Jews, many of them from foreign countries, the 12 apostles at the time, along with the other early disciples, 120 followers of Christ in all, they were in an upper room there in Jerusalem at the time. They suddenly heard this sound like a violent wind. They saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that showed up and then divided and came and rested on all of the disciples. And and Luke Uh, who wrote Acts, said in Acts 2-4 that all of the disciples were then filled with the Holy Spirit. And these disciples, newly filled with the Spirit, they then spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem. And Luke says that they began then to speak in other tongues, speaking in the native known languages of the foreigners who were in Jerusalem at the time. The people in the city heard the noise came running, and they then heard, Luke said, the mighty works of God proclaimed to them in their own native dialects. And the crowd here was divided. Some were curious, what does this mean, all these languages that we hear? Others, however, thought the disciples were just drunk. But this massive crowd now Thousands of people have now gathered around these disciples and Peter now takes this opportunity to stand and preach. Let's go ahead and read it, Acts 2.14. But Peter, standing with the eleven other apostles, lifted up his voice and addressed the crowd. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and Of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of Of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter, Peter in this sermon, makeshift on the spot sermon, just quoted there several times from the Old Testament books. The first two thirds of your Bible, which were written, which was written long before this event here. And Peter's main concern in this sermon before this crowd here, he wants these Jews to know that God has now fulfilled three Old Testament promises. Peter, like a good preacher, essentially preaches a three-point sermon right here. Three Old Testament promises from God that had now been fulfilled in and through Jesus. And we'll just walk through Peter's three points today. Peter's first sermon point here, the, the first of God's Old Testament promises that Peter talks about here, number one, God promised to send his spirit. God promised to send his spirit. Verse 14 there says that Peter, now surrounded by this massive crowd, he lifts up his voice and 
addresses this crowd, speaking directly, Luke says now, to the people of Judea and Jerusalem, so speaking directly now to native Israelites in their own tongue. Amazing, though, that Peter would be preaching at all right here. If you think about it, this guy Peter, just 50 days before this, committed one of the most famous denials of Jesus Christ in human history, the night Jesus was betrayed. Peter, in in fear for his own life, denied he even knew Jesus to a young servant girl with cursing. I do not know this man, Jesus. A serious failure by Peter. But after Jesus was then crucified and raised again, Jesus forgave Peter. Jesus restored Peter. And it's just such a great reminder to us that restoration is always possible with Christ. Even after your worst sin. Jesus is a forgiving Savior. He loves to restore those who turn to him for mercy. And Peter, he's now recently been restored to Jesus. And now Peter has just recently been filled with the Holy Spirit. He is now a dramatically changed, dramatically empowered man. And he stands up here just shortly after denying Christ to boldly now proclaim Christ. And listen, man, it's not like Peter was preaching here to this nice Christian crowd that was expecting him to proclaim Christ. No, this was a Jewish crowd that had never heard anyone proclaim Christ. And the Jewish religious leaders who were probably here on this occasion, just seven weeks before this, They had violently beaten and voted to crucify Christ. Peter's words here, he knows, could very well be his final words. And yet Peter now, empowered by the Spirit, speaks. If you look again at the middle of verse 14. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people, these disciples, speaking these foreign tongues right now, they are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. But, Peter says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This, right here, you people of Jerusalem, Judea, this is what God promised through the the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. God promised through Joel that he would do this thing right here. And Peter then quotes from Joel chapter 2. Man, you just think about Peter in this on-the-spot sermon right here. Peter recites from memory several Old Testament passages. And, and it, it makes sense. Peter had probably lived in the scriptures ever since he met Christ, especially since Christ was raised and began to open his mind to understand those Old Testament scriptures. And man, this guy now, scriptures are just coming out of him right and left. He'd probably lived in the scriptures. There was another man, Harry Ironside. He was a uh, pastor teacher, early 1900s, a man who also lived in the scriptures at age 14, and I want you young children to hear this, at the age of 14, Harry Ironside 
had already read the entire Bible 14 times. And he then read through it at least once a year the rest of his life. He was preaching at a conference once, and he and another speaker got into a conversation on the side discussing with each other uh, their different approaches to, to personal devotions. The other man shared what he'd read in the Bible that morning, and he then asked Harry what he'd read that morning, and Harry paused, and, and then he said, Isaiah, all 66 chapters of Isaiah. And he, you know, this guy Peter was also a man who had probably lived in the Scriptures ever since he met Christ, certainly ever since the resurrection. And Peter now quotes here on the fly several Old Testament passages, starting here with Joel 2. These disciples are not drunk. This is what God prophet, promised back in the book of Joel. And He says this then, look at verse 17, a quote from Joel chapter 2. Peter says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And God Right here, at Pentecost, he had now fulfilled Joel 2. He had poured out his spirit, just as God promised there that he would do this torrential downpour of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, or on all of his people, on all of these Christ followers, these disciples, and it was a hugely significant thing here. Back in the Old Testament, in, in Old Covenant times, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, had come on a, a few of God's people at times, different leaders, and the Holy Spirit empowering them temporarily to do certain things. But God promised there in Joel that in the future, in New Covenant times, He would pour out His Spirit on all people permanently. And, and please notice what God said through Joel there, that he'd pour out his spirit on both sons and daughters, on both the young and the old, even on servants or on the lowest classes of his people. In other words, God promised in Joel that he would pour out his spirit on every gender, every age, and every class of his people. And these disciples have now experienced it. <laughs> you think about these guys, these disciples. They started following Christ in the old covenant age. When, when, when the Holy Spirit came on just a few of God's people temporarily. But they've now shifted into the new covenant age. When God's Spirit would come on all of God's people permanently. Verse 17 there calls this new covenant age the last days. The last days is, is the period of time that began right here at Pentecost and then extends all the way to the return of Christ. When, as Joel said there in verse 19 and 20, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon turned to blood, and so on. You and I now live in the last ages. We live in that period of the, of the last days. 
the new covenant age of, of the Spirit. And in these last days, God now pours out His Spirit on all of His people. Every single follower of, of Jesus Christ. Every gender, every age, and every class of Christian. And it happens, as I mentioned last Sunday, it happens at your conversion. The, the second you truly turn from your sin and repentance and you cling to and begin to follow Christ in faith, well, the Bible says you've now received God's Holy Spirit. You've, you've now been filled with, you've been baptized with, immersed in God's Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus himself now living in you forever, empowering you now. For life and ministry, if you are right now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the indwelling spirit of Christ inside of you right now. That is a huge thing. Empowering you for life and ministry, watching over you, protecting you, guarding you at all times. The very spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer now receives the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Spirit now, in these last days, well, the Spirit now manifests Himself in and through God's people in some new and powerful ways. God promised there in Joel, in verses 17 and 18, God promised that His, his people would now do things like prophesy. They would now see visions. They would now dream dreams. Is that possible for you, Christian? That you would now prophesy or, or, or dream a dream or see a vision? Absolutely possible. The Holy Spirit now indwelling you. And we see it right here. We see, we see God promise there in Joel. Verses 17 and 18, His people would, would prophesy. We, we now see it with these disciples here supernaturally now speaking in foreign known languages, a form of prophecy here. And please catch this. It wasn't just the 12 apostles, just men. It was most likely all 120 disciples from the upper room, both men and women, prophesying on this occasion. A direct fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that his spirit would be poured out on both men and women, both men and women, prophesying, seeing visions, dreaming dreams. And here it is, fulfilled right here. You know the Holy Spirit still empowers all, all God's people today in similar ways. Every gender, every age, every class of, of, of Christian. Maybe not the exact same phenomenon on, as here, or in the exact same magnitude. But the Spirit now fills or baptizes all Christians. Like these disciples here and empowers us in various ways. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Different ways the Spirit now empowers Christians today. God promised through Joel that these last days, this age of the Spirit would come. And man, Peter just boldly stands up now in front of these people and says, It's here. Is here. They're, they're not drunk, as some of you suppose. This is the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of God's promise in Joel chapter 2. And man, listen, Peter wants these people to know here that this promise God made in Joel 2, well, it has now just been fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. If you look down what Peter says later in verse 33, 
Jesus, Peter says, being therefore exalted now at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The Holy Spirit has now been poured out here by the Lord Jesus Christ. You just recited it in the Nicene Creed. The Holy Spirit proceeding from both the Father and the Son. And the Son just poured out the Spirit. So that's the first point in Peter's sermon. This first Old Testament promise that he covers here. God promised to send His Spirit. And point number two here. God promised a resurrection. And man, you you look closely at Peter's sermon here. This is the place in Peter's sermon where he first really mentions the name of Jesus. The place where his sermon now becomes explicitly Christian. C.K. Barrett says this, Christian preaching begins with the name of Jesus. You think about that. So many sermons preached today, so-called Christian sermons preached from the Bible, but never mention the name of Christ. And it's, it's easy to do. You just grab maybe an Old Testament text and you just turn it into a moralistic lesson. Be like David. Be, be like Abraham. But that is not Christian preaching. J- Jewish rabbis would love those sermons. Jewish rabbis would agree with those sermons. Be like David. Be, be like Abraham, but Christianity is is centered on Christ, and true Christian preaching is also centered on Christ. And Peter's sermon now, it becomes explicitly Christian and potentially very offensive in front of this Jewish crowd as he now mentions the name of Jesus. You look at verse 22. Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And you talk about guts. Oh my word. That is not the same Peter who denied Christ 50 days earlier. That right there. Some serious Holy Spirit birthed guts. In the Apostle Peter, a radically changed man now. People of Israel, you know the miracles that Jesus performed among you. Many of you saw them. You've heard of them. And you know, deep in your hearts, that those miracles proved that He was truly from God. 
God himself attesting to you by working those miracles through Jesus. God demonstrating to you with those miracles that Jesus truly was from him. A man approved by God, sent by God, loved by God. And yet you, Peter says, you killed him. Crucified and killed him. By the hands of lawless men turning him over to the Romans. And you talk about something that could have gotten somebody killed. There it is. It's very similar to what the prophet Nathan had done many years earlier with King David. When King David sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan looked at King David and said, You are the man, David. You sinned against God. Could have gotten Nathan Killed. Serious guts it took for both Peter and Nathan to say those things. Something every preacher needs at times. Just enough guts to speak the truth. Not sugarcoat it. Not, not try to make it more palatable for people. Not, not, not tell a couple jokes to make it softer. Just speak the truth. And Peter did. Jesus attested you by God Himself. You killed Him. But I could speak that same truth to you. Because because who really killed Jesus? It wasn't just these Jews who physically handed him over to the Romans. No, the Bible says that Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. So it was really you who killed him. You're the man. You're the woman. You're you're the child. I'm the man who killed Jesus. The hymn, how deep the Father's love for us. Behold the man upon a cross, my guilt upon his shoulders. It was my sin that held him there. But you know who ultimately killed him? It wasn't ultimately Jews or you or me. God put him on the cross. Before this world was ever created, God the Father had sovereignly determined to send His eternal Son to the cross to pay for sin. Jesus had determined to put Himself on the cross. Did did you catch what Peter said to this Jewish crowd in verse 23? He, He wants them to know that they are not ultimately in control. Here it is. This Jesus, he said, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed. You know, these Jews, they might have physically done it. But his death was actually according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Long before they ever did it, God had ordained it. Sovereignly determined God's definite eternal plan to let sinful human beings crucify His Son to pay for the sin of the world. 
But you know, you, you look at this sermon here, it, it, it's not actually the death of Christ that, that Peter wants to stress with these Jews here. He wants to stress the resurrection of Christ. Man, Peter wants to hammer home with him here that God in the Old Testament books had promised a resurrection and that promise had also now been fulfilled by Jesus. If you look at verse 24, Peter just said, you killed him, but he goes right in then and says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Not possible, Peter says, for death, the tomb to hold Jesus. Uh, There's one writer who said it like this. He said, the tomb could no more hold the Redeemer than a pregnant woman could hold the child in her body. (laughs) Ladies, the next time you go into labor, just try to hold that baby in. <laughs> just, just try to do it. Shoot, man. I, you know, I've seen five children being birthed. I know how this thing works. You can't even stop pushing if, if you try. I know the nurse says, hey, you can't push yet. Doctor's not here yet. And you say, right, get out of my way. <laughs> because this thing's coming and it's coming right now. You, you cannot hold that baby in. And Peter says here, that's the way it was with Jesus. Not possible for death, for the tomb to hold him. And and why could the tomb not hold him? Because God had promised that the Messiah would be resurrected. And that's where Peter goes here. He quotes now a second Old Testament scripture where where God promised that his Messiah would be raised from the dead. (laughs) Peter is just spewing scripture right here in front of this massive Jewish crowd, just pulling out all these Old Testament scriptures that he's hidden in his heart, so good for you and me to do. I told you uh, a few weeks ago that, that Charles Spurgeon once said about John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, Spurgeon said that, that, that Bunyan was so full of the Bible that if you pricked him, his blood type would be Bibline. And, and Peter has now been pricked here by the Holy Spirit, and Peter is now bleeding all over his makeshift pulpit, and his blood type now is Bibline. He's already quoted from Joel, now he quotes from Psalm 16. We won't look at all of it, it's in verses 25 to 28. Peter's main point in quoting Psalm 16 here is pretty simple. Psalm 16 was originally written by King David a thousand years or so before this event right here. And the key point in in David's psalm, the key point that Peter wants to highlight right here before all these people is right there in verse 27 where David had said this, for you, O God, will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And David was essentially saying there in Psalm 16, You, oh God, you won't allow my physical body to stay in the tomb to the point where my body sees corruption. And Peter knows that David wasn't talking there about himself, ultimately. And how does Peter know that? Pretty simple. Because David's body was right there in Jerusalem still fully decayed. 
(laughs) If you look at what Peter says in verse 29, actually quite humorous. He quotes from Psalm 16 about this body is not going to go in and, and see corruption. And then he says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. (laughs) and it's like Peter just looking out this crowd saying um you know if you will just head down this street right over here you make a make a right at the butcher shop and then go about a quarter of the mile down that street you're gonna run into this monument there called David's tomb and David's body still there Until, that is, Christ returns and resurrects him from the dead. But up to this point, still there. Um, His body has definitely seen corruption, seen decay. And Peter's point, David was talking back there in Psalm 16 about someone else. The Messiah. The one and only true Holy One whose body would not see corruption. God was promising there in Psalm 16 that His Messiah would be resurrected. And Peter goes there. If you look at verse 31, Peter says, David, he, David, foresaw in Psalm 16 and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ or the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And once again, Peter wants them to know here that this Old Testament promise from God is also fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 32, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that resurrection we all, we disciples, are all witnesses. Jesus was raised. And you look at Peter before these people. Psalm 16 promised that God promised it. And Jesus was raised. Many of you Jews know it. You've seen the empty tomb. Many of you even saw Jesus after he was risen. You know Jesus Christ was raised. And that means he's the one and only Messiah. That's Peter's second point, second Old Testament promise. It's now fulfilled by Christ. First, God promised his spirit. Second, God promised his resurrection. And Peter's third and final point here, number three, well, God also promised an ascension. An ascension to heaven. If you look at verse 33 again, (laughs) Peter goes on. This Jesus, Peter says, being therefore exalted now at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For, He says, David did not ascend into the heavens. But He Himself, David says, back in Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Peter just quoted from his third Old Testament passage just continuing to bleed bibline uh, quoted there from psalm 110 another psalm written by king david a thousand years 
before this moment here. And Peter's point here again is very simple. David said back in Psalm 110, all you Jews, David said that someone would be exalted, that someone would ascend to the right hand of God in heaven. And once again, it wasn't David. His tomb's here. His body is still here. Peter says there in verse 34, David did not ascend. David was talking once again about the Messiah. David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Or the Lord Yahweh, God the Father, said to my Lord, the Messiah, God the Son, sit at my right hand. The Messiah would be exalted, would ascend to heaven. And Peter wants these Jews here to know that that promise from God has also now been fulfilled by Jesus. It says in verse 33 that Jesus being therefore exalted, ascended at the right hand of God has now poured out His Spirit. So man, step back and look at the sermon. Three points. All of them drawn out of Old Testament scriptures. And Peter now, like a good Christian preacher, has taken all three of those points to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are fulfilled in Him. Three-point sermon on the spot. Giant crowd, potentially hostile. The title of Peter's sermon, if he had to put it on the bulletin, (laughs) it might be Promises Fulfilled. The three promises God has fulfilled. God promised to send His Spirit. God promised a resurrection. God promised an ascension. He's connected all three to Christ. And man, like a good preacher, Peter now concludes his sermon with one all-encompassing, very personal statement. You know, they tell young preachers when um, you're going through seminary or something, that they tell you that you have to learn how to bring the sermon home. You have to learn how to conclude in a very concise way that makes it very, very personal. And Peter brings the sermon home. If you look again at verse 36, on the basis of everything I've shown you people, how all these Old Testament prophecies have now been fulfilled by Jesus, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let all of you know for certain that God has now demonstrated to you by many proofs that Jesus is Lord of Lords. He is the one and only long-awaited Christ, the Messiah whom you crucified could have gotten Peter killed. In Acts 7, around the disciple Stephen, the people will get angry, gnash their teeth, pick up stones, and kill him. And they could have done it to Peter here, but that wasn't God's plan. It was God's plan right here, sovereignly determined by God, that this sermon would hit its mark. And it does, man, if you look again at verse 37. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And Luke says down in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You talk about a sermon that worked. (laughs) oh my word this sermon this is this is every preacher's dream (laughs) right here man you preach your sermon you bring it home at the end you did it you drop the mic and everybody in the room calls out what shall we do You want to encourage me as a preacher? (laughs) Here's what I would suggest. Maybe just station a couple people at the back of the room next Sunday. And somewhere in the middle of my sermon, just one after the other, just start crying out, I'm cut to the heart! And that will be a serious encouragement to this, this preacher. It's amazing. Luke says that this massive crowd, they were cut to the heart. Boldness to preach it. He stood up and did it. Could have gotten killed. Cut to the heart. The Greek word there means their hearts were pierced or stabbed. A sharp pain due to anxiety or remorse. Homer actually used the the same Greek word to describe horses stomping the earth with hooves. These people's hearts here, under the intense conviction of the Spirit, felt like they'd been absolutely stomped, crushed, pierced by guilt for killing the one and only Lord in Christ. And they cry out, what shall we do? And Peter tells them what to do. The final application of a sermon. Man, every sermon should tell tell you to do something and Peter does it here and I'll just let Peter's final application here this will be my final application to you too because here's the thing it wasn't just these Jews that killed Jesus no it was your sin my sin our sin that put him on the cross and what should you do then according to Peter repent and be baptized repent means you turn away from your sin. You, you, you turn to God. You turn to Christ in, in faith. A change of heart. A change of mind. I see my sin, God. See that it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. The Scriptures say you must repent. Children, you must repent. You don't enter the kingdom of heaven just because your, children, your parents go to church services. You also must repent. I see my sin and you turn to Christ for mercy. Repent and be baptized, Peter says. It's the first step of obedience for a new Christian. Baptism is commanded by Christ. I mean, if you think of what just happened here in human history, Jesus, just a few days before this right here, Jesus just looked at these disciples and he said, go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them. 
And they just obeyed his command. They just made 3,000 new disciples through the preaching of Peter here on Pentecost. And they have now baptized those disciples. Jesus wants you to be baptized. Some of you need to be baptized. You've followed Christ for a long time in faith. Or maybe you've just turned to Christ today in repentance and faith. And Jesus would then command you to be baptized in front of, of a church. Repent and be baptized, Peter says here, for the forgiveness of your sins. You do those things. Repent and be baptized and, and your sins are, are forgiven, washed away by the blood of Jesus. For, Peter says, he also says you get the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the, Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit if you do these things. For, Peter says, the Old Testament prov- promise of the Spirit is for these Jews here. It's also for their children. It's for any Jews who would repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. But Peter also says here that it's for those who are far away. Meaning Gentiles or non-Jews. Like most of us here in this room. This amazing gift of God's Spirit. It's a free gift. For anyone and everyone who would turn to Christ in faith, repent and be baptized, doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Turn to Christ in faith, you'll be forgiven. You'll receive the very spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in your own heart. Did you catch what God said in that prophecy from Joel? Here it is, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, doesn't matter who you are, saved when you call on the name of the Lord. I'll close with this. George Whitfield, minister in England, back in the 1700s, he used to preach to coal miners in England, out in the fields when they returned from their mines, this sea of coal-blackened faces before George Whitfield as he would preach. And these coal miners would become so convicted of their sin when he preached, so cut to the heart, but they would also find so much hope in God's promises in the Bible that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And their tears would make these white lines in the soot on their faces. Whitfield said this, he said, I saw white gutters made by their tears down their black cheeks. And man, simple prayer coming out of a sermon like that is that your heart, blackened by sin, that you would be convicted of your sin, but you would also find hope In God's promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on Him today and be saved. Father, we are sinners, all of us. Have all sinned against You in thought, in word, in action, in things that we've done and things that we've left undone. We are sinners. And I pray now, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that You would pierce hearts. You would cut to the heart. 
that you would show sin. Show what we have done, what we have not done against you. But I pray, Father, you'd also drive the gospel truths deep that you are God who saves in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who sent the Spirit, who was resurrected, who was ascended. Father, do a work in our hearts by your Spirit. And may we cling to Christ and follow Christ all of our days. In his name we pray, amen.